Yeah. Right now, though, I want to have a discussion with uh, Robert Aska. Uh, Robert is a research fellow at the Parkland Institute at the University of Alberta. We're talking about the oil patch, and there's some good things, as you know, going on in the oil patch. Really good. We're getting close to $100 a barrel for oil again. Remember those heady days? Yeah. Almost back, and that's making a lot of people really happy. But... Always looming for the energy sector now, whether we like it or not, is the new reality, the focus on climate change all over the world. So how will that affect things both right now and in the longer term? That's what Robert studies. He joins us now to give us some insight. Hi, Robert. Thanks for your time today. Uh, Thank you for having me on the show, Shay. This is your area of expertise, right? This is what you look at, how climate change is affecting global uh, finances and, and the financial system globally, right? That's right. What are we seeing? I mean, I know that it's been something that a lot of firms have talked about and, you know, we're, it's going to be more of a focus in how we do things. What is the, the, the trend out there in terms of how it's being incorporated into finance? Well, there, there's two broad movements, Shay. One is with respect to um, regulators of financial institutions, including uh, our central bank and the office of the superintendent of financial institutions, as well as the divestment movement, which is really part of the environmental movement. And then the other piece is the institutional investors themselves, which are the large pension funds like the case today poll. And what um, the article in the conversation last week was really about a recent study by the central bank and the regulator on the a vulnerability of um, carbon-intensive companies and sectors, such as oil, sands, oil and gas, cement, and so on, to uh, changing climate change policies over the next 30 years. And um, the, the chief finding was, I think, rather uh, alarming, I would say, for um, the citizens of Alberta, employees in the oil patch and the government of Alberta as well. And that is that under certain uh, climate change scenarios, the probability of default by oil sands producers would be jumping up by 400%. So what that means, in fact, is, and and I argue that the financial institutions, the big banks, uh, North American banks that lend to the oil patch, will be over time through prudential uh, capital rules and so forth, be uh, withdrawing um, their funding of, uh, of that sector uh, with, with implications about the durability, the longevity of the oil sands operations. What's the time frame you're looking at here, Robert? I mean, whenever we talk about this climate change and the transitional economy in the oil sector, or the energy sector, there's always sort of like an immediate and then there's a short term and there's a midterm and there's a long term. So when you're talking about um, sort of fleeing investment or financing in the energy sector, what kind of time frame are you talking about? Well, that's a very good question, Shay, and I really don't have a, a, a good answer. I mean, it's very fluid. The, the kind of regulations that require oil sands producers to set aside security deposits with the provincial regulator really trigger at about 15 years from the end of of life of those resources. Now, my sense, given, you know, the dramatic uh, environmental changes, floods, and so on, 
and um, the the move towards electrification and so forth is that it's going to be sooner than later. Now that's a pretty fake answer, but but I I really do think that that governments in this province have to think very clearly about an exit plan, a transition, and 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 what is going to happen to the tailings ponds mm-hmm. and how if if in fact they can be cleaned up, how that's going to be dealt with. And my my other writings are, are quite concerned about the disclosure and financial institution regulators uh, and and this is an international uh, movement are are quite concerned about the quality of disclosure uh, both from a kind of an accounting sense but from a sustainability uh, sense as well so um, the province has uh, the Securities Commission which you know regulates disclosure of, of issuers like CNRL and Suncor and so on uh, but you've got the the banks and the federal regulator that is interested in financial stability and the um, the soundness of the balance sheet of the banks uh, so so this is kind of in a way a new battle line that's being being drawn yeah. up it won't be merely the the environmental department in ottawa versus alberta and so on it's going to be the the role of financial institutions which lend money and buy shares in oil companies that that is going to be i think the main regulator of how this transition will work I, I think you're absolutely right, and we've talked about it before, and that's going to be a major consideration. The question I have, and I don't know, maybe I'm just being cynical. When we see the price of oil getting up to $100 a barrel, we know there's a lot of money to be made here. And how does that tip the equation? I don't know how long it's going to last and all the rest of it, but you know, they're saying maybe the rest of this year. How does that sort of change the equation for some of these financial institutions? Well, I, I mean, certainly when financial institutions look at a credit, they have what they call a price deck, which goes out, say, five or ten years, um, that that is based on generally a consensus of what industry analysts think the price of oil. But you and I know that boom follows bust and so yep. on, yep. and and that it's really any anyone's guess. And and one of the difficulties in answering your question about, you know, how long the oil sands have is the issue around electrification, um, the, the adoption of uh, renewable industry, um, energy, batteries. But most particularly, it is the demand side. And with the economy coming back, you know, the world does operate on roughly 100 million barrels of oil a day. A day and, yeah. you know, and the producers quite legitimately say to the government, you know, we're meeting the demand. Yep. And um, so, so that, to me, it, it's an existential question for, for the globe is, um, do we continue on the path um, that that we know leads to very high temperatures over the next century, and and what that 
goes with the weather disasters, or is there um, the the electrification? Is there the, the the will on the part of governments to basically say that we will do everything in our power to reduce the production of carbon um, fuels? And and you know we we know that over the last thirty years and and then since the Club of Rome that uh, we've in a way been living on borrowed time, but we carry on as we always do, and and that is a central uh, conundrum mm-hmm. for for uh, for the world. And there are smart people like Mark Carney, who's the kind of finance um, czar now that that are, uh, you know, talking to improve the disclosure and how markets respond to that and and whether markets provide signals to fossil fuel uh, industry and to consumers and so on about the, the, the environmental costs, the externalities is what economists call, from uh, burning fossil fuels. It's a fascinating discussion, and, it's, and and as you say, Robert, it's only going to get bigger and bigger as time goes on and it becomes more and more prominent. So uh, we'll check in again as we go along, but thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much, Shay. Bye. Thank you. That's Robert Aska, who is a research fellow at the Parkland Institute, University of Alberta. And the thing is, of course, nobody knows this more and is more in tune and on top of it than the oil industry. I mean, they're always way ahead of what politicians and and you know um other groups are talking about i mean because it's it, it's their business it's what they do and uh, they're always leading the way